the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. To the common good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with the right Reverend Brian Fromm. Howdy. <laughs> Howdy. Howdy. That's a new one for you. Yes, it is. You're also wearing a cowboy hat and boots, <laughs> not, which is a whole true. ensemble. You look really good, though. Way to go. This I like this why look. We, this is why we need to live stream this show. So as you say <laughs> things about me, the people can just go, nope, not true. But I thought the chaps were a bit much, but uh, good for you really come into the role. I we appreciate learned, that. We learned on the Facebook page the other day, all I wear are cargo shorts and hooded sweatshirts, which is the case today. I am not going to lie, though. You got a whole lot more support for the cargo shorts than I thought you were going to. Like people, I was not people, surprised people, by that. <laughs> of course you weren't. What did, what did your wife say, though? Her comment, I think, was my favorite. I've learned to live with it, I think, <laughs> which is the motto of our marriage, quite <laughs> frankly. <laughs> with a winky face. Man, oh, man, your wife is I've, fantastic. I've learned to live with it. <laughs> so good. All right, well, if you'd like to find us, I don't know why, you can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, or 1160hope.com, plus wherever it is you get your podcast. You can call us at 312-660-2594. That's 312 312- Six six zero two five nine four, or text us at six eight six eight three. Just type in CG for common good, and then your comment, your anecdote, your pun, your joke, your riddle, suggestion, any of that would be just fine. And uh, I thought it would be fitting, Brian, mm-hmm. because today is the seventy fifth anniversary of D Day. Crazy. One of one of the most, um, I think, memorable in our history, in particular, on June sixth. 1944, roughly 156,000 troops of the United States and its allies invaded Nazi-occupied France by sea and air, gaining a foothold in Northern Europe that would help lead to victory over Germany in World War II within a year. And there was a, a speech, in fact, I just listened to it again today, by Ronald Reagan that has really, in a lot of ways, stood the test of time. I want us to listen to a little bit of that speech and then uh, respond and reflect on today. The Americans who fought here that morning knew word of the invasion was spreading through the darkness back home. They fought or felt in their hearts, though they couldn't know, in fact, that in Georgia they were filling the churches at 4 a.m. In Kansas, they were kneeling on their porches and praying. And in Philadelphia, they were ringing the Liberty Bell. Something else helped the men of D-Day. The rock-hard belief that providence would have a great hand in the events that would unfold here, that God was an ally in this great cause. And so the night before the invasion, when Colonel Wolverton asked his parachute troops to kneel with him in prayer, he told them, do not bow your heads, but look up so you can see God and ask his blessing in what we are about to do. Also that night, General Matthew Ridgway on his cot, listening in the darkness for the promise God made to Joshua, 
I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. All right, now that's that's just a, a taste of the speech, though. But yep. I'd, I'd love for you just to react to that a little bit. How, how does that how does that hit you? It's just powerful. You're you're reminded of the eloquence of uh, Ronald Reagan, and um, it's just it, it is something that seventy five years later you start to lose sight of. But when you're reminded of what these young these young guys did on D-Day, it's 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 like nothing. I can't comprehend it. To be, I don't know how else right, to put it, except right. I can't comprehend it because. Uh, even when you watch a movie, right? Like saving private Ryan, that's all about this. And you just become really unnerved just watching it. And, and then to, to know that these young guys, they, they were, they knew what they were going into yeah. and, and to know that they still went at it. Uh, and that it, it changed the course of history is there's a reason they're called the greatest generation. Right. And even 75 years later now, uh, with, with, only a handful of them still alive. I don't know if you saw the speech today and the, the ceremony today, mm-hmm. uh, but the, to see the older gentleman behind sitting on the stage, yes. it's just, I can't imagine what they're feeling as they're sitting there in their nineties, looking back and remembering. It's just awe inspiring, man. It is just awe inspiring. It should leave us just breathless and in awe. And uh, they deserve all of our, um, all of the honor <laughs> that you can yeah. give them, they deserve today. Yeah, and I, I, I found this article from the Chicago Tribune, actually, that ended in a, in a pretty powerful way. Uh, it says, war is terrible, tragic. D-Day was those things. It was also heroic and necessary. Younger generations of Americans won't understand what happened on June 6, 1944, unless they are inspired to learn it. If you know the D-Day story, share it, teach it. Mm. And it made me think, um, you know, just a little while ago, we, uh, we honor Memorial Day, and a, a friend of mine, a buddy of mine named Monty Fowler, he's at U.S. Army Military Police Corps, uh, he wrote this a couple years ago, and I've, I've shared it every year since. Uh, he said, on this Memorial Day, the greatest gift we could give to the children of those who gave everything is a world without the need for war. Mm. And I thought, man, as someone who actually served, because neither neither you or I have served, right? Nope. So, I mean, that nope. needs to be stated over and over again. Like, we are, we are merely spectators to this story, but also... Um, in a lot of ways, recipients, but mm-hmm. like, I, I can't even pretend to understand even iota of what that would be like, but for someone like Monty to say, um, yes, I, I did serve. And I love my country. And the best thing we can do in honor of those who have fallen is to create a world, to work toward a world that mm-hmm. has no more need for war. Mm-hmm. Do we ever get there in your mind? Is that, is that a possibility? Like on a day like today, which is a somber day in a lot of ways. And, and we both honor, but also grieve, we grieve, heartache and we grieve war and we grieve hatred and violence and we talk about jesus defeating all those things on the cross and yet we still look around our world and we think man the, the use of weapons and the capacity that not just america but so many countries in the world have to cause such destruction you know and jesus talks about the least of these and you think about like man, you and i brian are, are part of one of the greatest military superpowers the world has ever known is it possible that maybe we can miss some of the central teachings of the gospel because we're we're caught up in all of this. Sure. You know, what, what what do you think this leads towards? Yeah, I don't think there will ever be a world without war. Although I love the sentiment to uh, to to do each of our individual parts to create a world where that is the case. Um, but it, it reminds us again, uh, as believers in Jesus, it points us again to the good news of the book of Revelation, that there is coming a day when there will be no more sin and no more brokenness and no mm. more no more death and no more tears uh, and no more war. 
And, uh, you know, we hold on for that. And do I, I think that's the whole already not yet of this world that we live in, that we we work to make it a better place. We work to to move forward the kingdom of Jesus uh, while understanding that sin is still a reality here. And that's ultimately what's at the core of um, uh, of war and battle. And so uh, but I do love the sentiment and I do think we each uh, need to do our part in the places that we influence uh, to be peacemakers and to bring about to bring about peace. But I do just think that, you know, if you're a parent out there, I think uh, the, the best thing you could take away from also today is to say, you know what, I'm going to teach my kids a little bit of history today. You know, we're going to sit down and watch a documentary or read a book uh, about what these people did. Like, I don't know, man, did you see this morning? Did you see the 97 year old guy who was yeah. part of the day? Yeah. Literally perish, literally uh, skydived, parachuted in with uh-huh. somebody. 97 years old. Yeah, I know. And he did that when he was, you know, 75 years ago. So um, when he's 22 years old and and did that for a purpose. And so I think to be praying for the guys who, who went through that or are still alive, to be praying for the families who are still, you know, dealing with that, but also to honor those uh, who who gave so much. Uh, so that we can have what we have. It's it's a humbling day. It really is. And and we wanted to start that way so we don't just blow through our day not thinking about it. Yeah, and not just today either because it's one of the things that I've, I've thought of a lot lately is that sometimes you're in a grocery store and the person in front of you is, is taking too long with their coupons or someone's driving too slow for your preferences in the in, on the freeway. And I think so often we're quick to judge uh, generations that many of whom fought in these wars or even if they didn't, they built businesses and they loved their community and they raised kids. And I think so, so often in this like fast paced culture, it's easy to kind of turn the focus back on us, but to remember to, to honor, to pause, to step back mm-hmm. and remember that this isn't ultimately about us. And, uh, we wanted to, like you said, begin the day honoring and remembering and also, uh, working each and every day toward a, a world, uh, without war. Mm-hmm. And that starts in our own kind of small ways that we possibly can every single day. Mm-hmm. Coming up next, uh, here's what I'm going to tease out, and then we'll dive in. It's uh, It says this, I just go by what the Bible says and other ridiculous things pastors say. That's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Uh, you may not know this, but that actually was a band Brian and I were both in in high school. Oh. That we, Yeah, that's true. You're going to lie to people on air right now uh, about that not going. being our band? What was the name of that band? Remember that band? Nope. I literally don't even know how to play an instrument. <laughs> that's how we know that's not true. Oh, your voice is your instrument, Brian Fry. <laughs> <laughs> and you wield it well. Well, welcome back. If you're wondering what the heck is going on, this is The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com, or wherever it is you get your podcast. Those will be posted sometime tonight. We're told around 6 o'clock. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mentioned it before. Here's the headline. I just go by what the Bible says mm-hmm. and other ridiculous things pastors say. Pastor Brian Fromm, why is that a ridiculous thing for pastors to say? So when I went to Wheaton College, when I left uh, New Jersey, came out, went to Wheaton uh, 25 years ago or so, uh, there were a couple jarring moments for me. And one of those was when I took my first biblical interpretation class. Oh, really? Because I was a Bible major. You're going to like this big evangelical school. And uh, you take this class called Biblical Interpretation 101. And what it is, is about kind of hermeneutics and how we uh, interpret the Bible. And one of the main points that they make in that is that you're always interpreting. You're always interpreting. And that's what this article is saying. It's saying 
that when we get up and say, I just go by what the Bible says, we are in making an interpretation there when we follow that up with, and it says this. Right. Yeah. It doesn't mean that there's not meaning, right? We're not saying, oh, you interpret it your way. I interpret it mine. Right. We're just saying that there are things that you need to wrestle with and understand things like genre, things like historical context. Uh, there's all this sorts of stuff. And if we really do want to get the Bible right, then we, we should embrace these things. Like sometimes we're like, no, nah, genre, nope, nope. I'm just going to go by what the Bible says. Well, then what you're saying is I'm okay getting it wrong. And oh. that should not be what we want to do. And so the author here is talking about Oftentimes in churches, we say that you hear pastors, he writes, or leaders say, I don't preach my opinions, I just preach God's word, or I just want to know what the Bible says, or I just believe what the Bible says. Uh, Or my favorite, he writes, the Bible says it, I believe it, and that settles it. Uh, (laughs) And uh, while that makes for a good bumper sticker, it's just dangerous. And so uh, you and I are both pastors, and that's what we're constantly trying to do. We're trying to do that work. Uh, that's why the, the people have written commentaries <laughs> yeah. like to right. unpack these things. And sometimes in churches and especially more fundamentalist churches, when you bring up this concept of interpretation, they think that you're stripping the Bible of its power, right? That you're doing this when in reality mm. you're giving the Bible its power because you're saying, uh, what does it actually say? What What is Paul actually saying here? Let's wrestle with it. Let's chew on it. Let's do the work. And, yeah. And that's important for us to be doing. Well, and one of the things that I actually have gotten a little softer on over the years is that, you know, uh, initially, I think probably when I first started in ministry, if somebody misused or proof texted a, a verse somewhere, I would say, that's not really what that verse is about. That's not really what's going on there. And I think the older I get, the more I think, all right, if Jeremiah twenty nine eleven like gives you some hope and some comfort. I think, I think as a pastor, I can be okay with that. However, one of the things that we'll often say is that we have to remember that the Bible uh, was written for us, but it was not written to us. Yeah. And I think that's obvious to some people. What I think is really interesting is that like, if something was written in Sanskrit, it'd be, it'd be really clear to you and I like, Oh, I need someone to interpret this for me. Mm-hmm. What's less obvious is that we need culture interpreted. We, it's so easy for us to superimpose my kind of Western post enlightenment lens and to remember that we're always looking through a lens yeah. and we don't usually think about, you know, like glasses. I'm wearing glasses right now. I'm not usually thinking about, I am wearing glasses. I am looking through a lens right now mm. until something kind of fogs them up or yeah. cracks the glass, which it sounds like your class at Wheaton kind of did the same thing. It sort of fogged up the lens a little bit. And what the article goes on to say, I think pretty brilliantly, it says, uh, when we hear the, I just go by what the Bible says type of statements, what's really being said is, I just go by what I have been taught, by mm. what others have thought or written about these passages, and all that is still further interpreted and understood through my own personal, cultural, educational, family, <laughs> geographical, social background, and history. Which I think is, and you kind of touched on this, the Bible's not even a book. Mm. The Bible's a collection of books. 66 books, 40 authors, a period of more than a thousand years, three different languages, three different consonants, continents, consonants, more than three consonants. There's three whole consonants <laughs> in, in the whole Bible. I actually tweeted this uh, almost a year ago today. Um, it says that God spoke through narrative histories, genealogies, chronicles, laws of all kinds, mm-hmm. poetry of all kinds, proverbs, uh, prophetic oracles, riddles, drama, biographical sketches, parables, letters, and sermons. Yeah. When you think about even just that list, that 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 really begins to sort of expand a little bit like okay what am i looking at right now what does this passage in leviticus mean what is uh-huh. going on here in second kings like that can be helpful but i also think 
maybe somebody's hearing some of this for the first time and, and they're thinking, well, this is really overwhelming. What am I supposed to do with this? What would you say to someone who's maybe having a Brian from Wheaton College moment right now? They're like, wait a minute. The Bible wasn't written in English? Like it wasn't, you know what I mean? Like how do you pastorally walk people towards a healthier, broader, more intelligent hermeneutic? Yeah. And one, I would want to take away the fear a little bit and say, you know, not to be flippant about it, but be like, it's the fact that we do interpretation and historical context that allows us to say that the Bible wasn't mandating slavery for all time. Right. Or or like how women have been treated for centuries. Yeah. and so that that should hopefully take it away from us. And then, you know, I would just tell them, yeah, you know, uh, I'd probably try to point to some books or uh, maybe say, hey, I'll read the Bible with you. Let's let's do this together. Like you, you've got it. It's going to take some time to figure out how to read. But it doesn't mean that if you don't have all these tools that you can't read the Bible. Right. Uh, you still can like still dive in. It's still good. Um, and But just understanding these things is going to help you. Like right. One of the most. Here, let me give you this example, okay. right? What do you think is probably, I might go with number one most misinterpreted, misused Bible on Christian t-shirts and bumper stickers. Second Kings 440. Nope. Uh, <laughs> no? Do you know what that is? No, but you're about to tell me. Man of God, there's death in the pot. <laughs> I used to put that in every birthday card for years. Sorry, go ahead. It's awesome. <laughs> it's I can do all things through God, uh, through him who gives me strength, Right. right? Uh, and we all do that for everything. I can do all things. And we don't realize <laughs> that Paul writes that chain to a prison wall uh, facing imminent death, right? Like Paul wasn't writing that as a great prosperity preacher going, I can do all things. I can. And, and but this is where interpretation matters, like right. understanding the situation Paul was in and from where he wrote that really makes a difference. And that's why we uh, I'm going to speak for you in this one and me, too. <laughs> Like we want people to love the Bible and we want them to understand what they're reading and we want people to be followers of God's word. And so uh, interpretation uh, is an important part of that. Uh, Like, for instance, he writes first, no one can step outside themselves and interpret any writing from a purely objective space. And when we are reading, whether the Bible or any other tech, we're always interpreting. And so just being aware of that and saying, I want to know, I want to be a scholar of the Bible and a reader of the Bible and a doer of the Bible. Like they all go together. Yeah. And I, I think maybe a helpful way to think about it is that every theology has an adjective right? Or every theology has a prefix. Like, I think there's something about like how we, how we're bringing our own culture, our own geography, our own philosophy, our own theology. We're bringing all those things to the table. And the two things you just mentioned, I want, I want to end with them again, because I think they're really important, especially when it comes to uh, not just wanting to dissect the Bible, but we, yeah, to to love the Bible. And I love that I'm a part of a church that loves the Bible. And we encourage Bible reading plans and small groups and get in, you know, we have, we have courses, how to read the Bible. Uh, My buddy, Justin Gill leads one of these classes and it's been so eye opening for a lot of other people who are like, I've been walking with the Lord for decades. I didn't know any of this, but maybe, maybe these are the two takeaways. Uh, First, no one can step outside themselves and interpret any writing from a purely objective space. And second, when we are reading, whether the Bible or any other text, we are always interpreting. Mm. So to keep those two things in mind shouldn't discourage. In fact, hearing those things, man, theology is an art and a science. It means that we can dive into it together. And I would definitely recommend together to learn Mm. in the context of community. And the thing that I love is, you know, you and I have been preaching for you know, a decade plus now is that I, I fall more and more in love with it. The more that I learn, the more I dive in. And I think that's the beauty of the complexity of scriptures. You you discover new things and it reveals new parts of your heart. And I think to approach it 
first as a microscope, not binoculars, right? Like yeah. what, what is this revealing in my own heart not to use it as a way to sort of, you know, condemn right. uh, or chastise somebody else? Well, coming up next, here's the headline. Uh, self-care isn't enough. We need community care to thrive. That's what we're going to talk about coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. All right, all right, all right. Did, did you know, by the way, that I've been told that Matthew McConaughey is like my voice doppelganger, if that's a thing? Is that a thing? I, don't, I thought he was more Southern. He's very, he's from Texas. No, but you've told me before people have myth, have asked you if you're from the South. Numerous times. In fact, uh, a but couple you're months like southern ago, Detroit. Uh, southern Detroit. There is no such thing. That's called Canada. Um, <laughs> but, that's why. That's why the song drives me crazy. But I did a couple months ago. I got my meal for free at a diner. The, we had the waitress. She's like, "Hold on, can you say all right, all right, all right?" And I said, "All right, all right, all right." And she goes, "Hold on." So she went and got her manager. Made me do it again. And she goes. Matthew McConaughey, that meal's on me. Oh. <laughs> I was like, what? Really? So they, they paid for my uh, ham and cheese omelet. It was pretty a pretty great Tuesday. Can I ask you, this oh, is going to... No, 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 no. This is off of something you just said. I am going to show like my complete lack of geography and the fact that I'm not from the Midwest also, even though I've lived here for 25 years. Yeah. Is Canada actually south of Detroit? Yes. Really? Yeah. It's one uh, unique small spot there. It's called Windsor, Windsor, Canada. Okay. So if you have the glove, I'm modeling so, it for you. Modeling nobody, it for I'm with it. <laughs> nobody can see Which this. You called America's High Five the other day. Yeah, Michigan, America's High Five. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it just swoops just under Detroit right there. So if you actually look at Detroit on a map, you have to take the bridge or the tunnel yeah. to get to Windsor, and it's technically southeast. Right I've there. actually been to Detroit, but I did not know Canada was south of it. A lot of people haven't, and that song has uh, certainly perpetuated the lie, which is unfortunate. What but, is uh, that song? Born and raised in South Detroit. Oh, I yeah. apologize for singing. Keep everybody. Going. No, that's not a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody in the world needs more of whatever that was. <laughs> All right, so I teased it out, and I think I think this is going to be interesting discussion because this is something that you and I have talked a lot about kind of anecdotally just in our experience as pastors, but uh, it says self-care isn't enough. We need community care to thrive. Yeah. Uh, in fact, somebody tweeted a quote by a woman named Nikita Valerio it says shouting self-care at people who actually need community care is how we fail people. Yep. What do you think? Well, what's fascinating to me is that this is not written from a Christian perspective. Yeah, right. And right. so we do hear a lot about self-care in our culture and that, you know, you've got to take care of yourself and worry about yourself. And and this the, uh, this person's article is basically saying oftentimes what people need are other people around. I just hit the microphone. <laughs> they need other people around them to build them up and to support them and to challenge. They talk about challenge in here and to do all these things. And man, it is a sermon. It's a non-Christian thing, but this is a sermon that you and I Mm. are both particularly passionate about because we talk about all the time. We both lead churches that have the word community (laughs) in it. And so (laughs) I, when I read this, to be honest with you, I thought this was going to be from like Christianity today. I said it correctly there. (laughs) Or it was going to be from something uh, that was a faith based um, from an angle of faith and it's not. And then it's, so that is always interesting to me when there are, 
uh, non-Christian publications that are that are affirming things that the Bible is very clear about. Hmm. The Bible is very clear that you are never meant to live on an island. When we're just talking about how the it Bible was. is never. <laughs> when I interpret it, <laughs> the Bible says that that settles it. It, it. It's it's said over and over again, right? That you're not an island. That you need other people. The so, Bible has not said you're not an island. I know. I just I'm I'm putting them together into <laughs> we a bucket. Just did a segment on it though. I can't let that one go. <laughs> like the good book says. A common theme in scripture <laughs> is, according to my current cultural hermeneutic, <laughs> uh, it, it's this, uh, it's this concept of that, uh, that, uh, we, we do this together, that you need others who can challenge you, who can equip you, who can encourage you with whom you can run the race. Uh, and we talk about this all the time. And so to see, uh, a a non Christian publication going, hey, if you all they're talking about is living a healthy life, right? If you want to live a healthy life, do it in the in the construct of community. Even though we're constantly in a culture telling you about self care, I find that to be fascinating. Yeah. So they uh, they talk with Brian Wall, PhD, uh, assistant scientist with the John Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health, and uh, that's probably Bloomberg. Bloomberg. Either way, the example that he gives is pretty interesting because he talks about when we uh, when someone has like pneumonia, right? We wouldn't just like send them off by themselves to go take care of themselves. We surround them either with doctors and specialists or when they go home, right? The people, I mean, we kind of do that instinctually, right? If someone in your family has a flu, we kind of surround and care for them. And so often it seems like the opposite when it comes to mental health stuff. And we assume that, you know, they can pull themselves up out of it or snap mm-hmm. out of it or pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And he kind of goes on to talk about like how kind of insane that is that with like really obvious ailments, the community tends to rally around. Yep. But when the more less obvious, um, we, we do a, a pretty poor job overall, I think, of really caring for people um, in the most needed ways. And I think a lot of times that has to do with our own ignorance. Maybe we don't know warning signs or we're not able to identify things for what they really are. You know, the amount of times I've heard people, even just as a pastor, who have battled serious clinical depression and they will tell you like through tears in their eyes how many times people have told them like oh you're just really sad this isn't actually yeah. a thing uh, or you need to pray the sadness away or like I, I think oftentimes unfortunately sometimes toxic theology can lead to some pretty destructive behaviors yeah. so people that have legitimate chemical imbalances are just left to kind of fend for themselves and that's perpetuated, I think, by like showing up at a space on Sunday mornings. Like, well, I guess I have to paint on a smile and pretend I'm doing better than I actually am. Yeah, which just sort of, I think, continues to spiral. Yeah, and it's just a cultural construct, right? We we talk about rugged individualism and all this mm-hmm. kind of stuff within our culture that is is sometimes helpful, but oftentimes is not helpful, and not just when you're struggling, but also uh, to to you know what's the I've. Albeit for me, someone who's never run a marathon before, but I would guess <laughs> some people, if you're training for a marathon, I would guess uh, that it's easier to do with others hmm. who are going to train with you, going to make sure you get out of bed and go for that early morning run, who are going to check up on you. Uh, so it's not just about when you're struggling, but also when you're striving for something, Um it's just interesting to me that that culturally this person is these people are like, yeah, you know what? Life is lived better uh, communally uh, for many different reasons. And then as a church, we can say, yeah, you know, if you really want to grow in your faith, uh, don't go at it alone. Yeah, right. Go at it with others. Uh, allow them to pray for you. That sounds biblical. Allow them to challenge you, to encourage you, uh, to push you along. Man, all of that. 
If we really, if you're out there and you want to grow in your faith, you need other people and you need to be the quote unquote other people for others. You Mm. need to be helping. Uh, I, I, you know, I, this image I like to give to our church sometimes is like, you need to have people in front of you who are pulling you along and encouraging you and bringing you. And hopefully you have people behind you, right? In maturity that you're bringing along and helping and, it, this communal aspect of the faith is is just essential. Yeah, and I think one of the things that uh, often gets overlooked is uh, is how much this can happen in digital spaces too. Mm. I think it's easy to say, well, the 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 communal care has to happen in person, which I will always be an advocate for. But I I keep hearing really significant stories, particularly in areas of like systemic isolationism. We've talked kind of so far to like individual issues and one-offs, but there's like some bigger systemic issues. And I think doing that together is also really important. And one of the things that digital interaction and digital community does afford us um, is maybe anonymity when we need it. Or maybe if it's someone who has some like deeply seated prejudice or bigotry, Mm. like to dip a toe in the waters of at least having a conversation. And uh, like I think of even the the woman that was, uh, she was part of the Westboro Baptist Church and Mm. involved in a lot of hate speech. And it was the patience of a digital community that actually helped her see like just how jacked up her way of life was. And she says, and she actually has this brilliant Ted talk where she says, if it wasn't for the digital community, I would have never actually seen the error of my ways because my whole actual physical space were all people who looked and taught and believed and acted just like me. And that was sort of her lifeline, which I think is a a really interesting way to look at the issue. Yeah. That's really powerful. Like, I don't know how else to put it. Like we are in a culture of loneliness and isolation Mm. And that is particularly difficult in the suburbs. And I would say uh, if we want to grow in our faith, but even if we want to be healthy people, you've got to bust through that. Even if you're an introvert, there's ways to do that, right? Yes. It's, this is not just a thing for extroverts. Like you need people around you to love on you, to care for you, to challenge you, to pray for you. Uh, And and then you, you know, that's an essential element to our faith and just to life in general. Yep. Uh, well, coming up next, I think a common good first. We're going to play a game. I, ga- I can't wait for this. Do you want to know the name of the game? I do. Here's the name. Psalm or Bieber lyric. Dumb. We're going to play that game with our executive producer, Keith Conrad, in the studio. Coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. Matthew McConaughey, he went to go get us burgers. He's not here anymore. But uh, I'm here, Ian Simpkins, along with your buddy, Brian Fromm. And uh, you can find us on Facebook if you'd like, The Common Good Radio Show, uh, 1160hope.com. You can call us, 312-660-2594. That's 312-660-2594. But, friends, we have a very special treat for you in the studio. You last heard his voice talking about the Titanic. So, But you really hear his voice every day in our kickers, in our crazy internet stuff. Yeah, why don't you explain that That's a little true. bit, just so we have some context. Yeah, bit. yeah. Keith Conrad, our executive producer, he is the one who comes up with when we end the show with internet insanity it's always him and that's him that we say sometimes uh, they're really good and sometimes they're borderline inappropriate and i gave his i gave his twitter handle incorrectly last time it's actually keith r conrad yes. if they want to find you and uh, yell, yell at you, you. <laughs> first of all i would i would argue that all of them are good it's just they're not necessarily good for like like this audience and, and this show so the context yeah. we were just talking about that a couple seconds context, ago the difference between roadkill and a meal <laughs> <laughs> What's the ratio of roadkill to meal in your articles that you send us? 
Oh, oh, I'd say they're probably at least 75% meal. <laughs> Done. All right. I'll, I'll take those odds. We call that Taco Bell. That's a good point. All right. So I, I also have to issue a correction. So what, the game that we're going to play now is not Psalm or Bieber Lyric. It's Psalm or Crazy Bieber Fan. So Keith, Correct. Brian and I have not seen these. Not seen them. He's going to read a text, and Brian and I have to guess, is this a psalm? Or is this something that a Crazy Bieber fan... Justin Bieber, I'm assuming, right? Not yes. just any, any Bieber. Yes. Justin Bieber. Yes. So we've not seen these. He's going to read them. We would love for you to play along in your car with your friends, alone in your The game room. that's taken over the country. It's <laughs> not and never will. But We're Keith, why don't, you, why, don't you, why don't you kick us off? Uh, should I start with uh, with uh, Brian or Ian? Who, who wants How about to go we both guess on each of these? All right. I'm fine with that. We'll, uh, keep, we'll keep track. Uh, okay. Uh, the first one is, your name echoes around the world. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm going to go Bieber fan. I'm going to go Psalm. That is Psalm 8-9. Yes! <laughs> Boom! That feels like a Eugene Peterson translation. <laughs> uh, number two, nothing can ever replace you. Oh, that's easy. Bieber lyric. Or Bieber, Bieber fan. Go, yeah, I'll go Bieber fan. That is a Bieber fan. Yes! <laughs> uh, two to one. Here we go. All right. Uh, why are you ignoring me? <laughs> Where are you when I need you the most? That could be either. Go for it. You guys, like I've a, got one in my mind. Seems like Job, actually. Yeah, very Jobish. Which, you know, a third of the Psalms are Psalms of lament, y'all. So That's I'm going to go Psalm. I'm going to go Psalm as well. That is, that is Psalm 10-1. Oh. What does it tell you? I'm three for three. <laughs> you, you have to deal with pride, apparently. Yeah. You made my life complete and put me back together. Gosh darn it. This is so much more difficult than I thought it was. I can't really go both ways on this one. I'm going to go Bieber. Just for fun, I'm going to go Psalm. Now that is Psalm 1820. (laughs) Yes! I am going to lose this game. This is the happiest, by the way, I've seen Brian from since we started the show in January. My dream is to be a kind of game show, so this is like the closest I'm going to get. This is fun. (laughs) All right, Keith Conrad. You saved my life. You made me believe. Oh. It's got to be Bieber. Got to be Bieber, right? That is a crazy thing. Oh, my goodness. I love that. Just a quick pause. Uh, why don't you tally your scores, audience listening? We'd love to know how you guys are doing. Let us know on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show <laughs> how you're scoring up right now in this uh, game. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, okay, next one. My choice is you, first and only. <laughs> Why are these so difficult? Uh, Bieber. I'm going to go Bieber. I had already decided on Bieber on that one. That is Psalm sixteen oh! five. Oh! You can't be mad. You're beating me by yeah. 17 or whatever. Five to three. <laughs> Five to three. Really? That was a psalm. That was good. Uh, it's Peterson again. <laughs> <laughs> I am right here, but you do not see me. Do you even notice me? Psalm. Psalm. It's got to be psalm. No, nope, that is a crazy Bieber <laughs> fan. <laughs> wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Somebody somebody tweeted out, do you even notice me? Uh, yeah, I would imagine he did not. <laughs> Oh. Yeah, by, by the way, he did not reply to that tweet. So, <laughs> oh, he did. Yeah, okay. Pretty clearly, he, he didn't notice. Oh, man. Uh, up next, you rewrote the book of my life. Holy cow. <laughs> I'm going to guess first on this one. Yeah, or go first. first. Psalm. I'll go Bieber there just for fun. That is Psalm 1824. <laughs> oh, man, oh, man. 
John By the way, I, I stopped keeping score. Uh, hey, I, I have not. It is six to three. <laughs> okay. It is six to three. We need like okay. a final Jeopardy. We can go daily double or something. Yeah, on yeah, the, just redeem uh, myself. Up next, uh, you are perfect and beautiful for all. <laughs> for all. That's got to be a psalm, right? That's a Bieber uh, fan. You think so? Yeah. That is a Bieber fan. Golly. <laughs> I don't. What kind of pastor am I that I can't? I'm, I'm not feeling real good about that you, part of my. I think you're also a believer. <laughs> That's I, what you think. Yeah. Uh, okay. This is the penultimate one. Penultimate. Yes. Second to last. Next to last. Yes. Yep. We got time to kill here, so you got to go nice and slow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was say, what are we going to do with the remaining time now? Just reminisce. <laughs> yeah. Let's just think about how far we've come in this segment. <laughs> <laughs> How difficult segments are to come up with. Oh. <laughs> okay. His love for us is unbelievable. Remember, I said unbelievable, not unbelievable. Yeah, <laughs> but the last time you used the word believe, say, it was a Bieber lyric. You've made me go first on almost all of these. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, that is a Justin Bieber fan. Yeah, I'll go fan too. That is correct. Ooh, this is the first one I think we both and, got. And that is, by the way, tw- uh, Twitter user ID Bieber King. <laughs> Bieber King. <laughs> Dude, I didn't know that it included the handles for all of these. It, it does. Oh but, my goodness gracious! I've only been uh, including the interesting ones. So let's let's pretend that Brian and I are tied right now. Let, the, let, yeah, let, let's pretend. Let's this, pretend. Uh, Final Jeopardy. Uh, uh, yeah, but before you read, before you read this, I'm doing an interesting uh, Google search here. Justin Bieber, uh, crazy Twitter fans. Yes. In 2017, Justin Bieber's diehard fans took up three percent of Twitter's traffic. That's pretty oh, wow. impressive. Yeah, that is pretty impressive. Yeah, that's not bad. Three <laughs> percent. Sounds like you're the believer. And there was a while uh, in the early Wild West days of Twitter when it was like Justin Bieber and Ashton Kutcher. Yes, it was like yeah, the number that's one right. too. Because Kutcher was like the first real Twitter guy, yeah. right? I can't yeah. believe we're talking about this right now. This is this is making just a teeny tiny part of my heart die. <laughs> I'm loving this. I know that you are. Brought to you by McDonald's. Do you want to do you want to do this uh, make believe tiebreaker? I do. And okay, then- so, so this is. Throw out all the other ones. This is for all the marbles. The rest was preseason. Yeah. Yeah. Preseason. Practice. I'm talking about practice. <laughs> like, like, like chaff in the wind. We're talking about practice. <laughs> Someone tuning in right now is so confused. Like, am I on the right station? What happened here? <laughs> what, I, I AM, AM 1160, we're not normally doing Justin Bieber tweets. <laughs> I, I thought this one may be the toughest one. Okay. Oh, boy. All right. Bring all right. it. Uh, Here so, we both so have to know. write it down, so we're not just okay. going together. Okay, we're not no, that's ready. fair. That's fair. Uh, okay, write it down on the radio. This is yes. good radio. But no, that will show in McKeith. You are my everything, my purpose, my reason. Gosh, this oh, I can't even believe I suggested this game. This is so Done. much harder than I. Okay, you got mine. All right, here we go. One, two, three. I already showed them. Oh, oh they—they've both guessed a Bieber. Uh, for those of you listening on the radio and not able to see. <laughs> <laughs> and they are both correct. Yay! Working towards the common good. That was really fun. <laughs> we got to find, hey, if you've got fun games like that, I'll get you there's some good worship lyric games out there. That'll be fun. Sh- should we really ever do what we just did again? Oh, man, that- I would do this on a daily basis if we could come up with enough games. <laughs> you would? Oh, that was fun. I feel like this is, you've talked about how competitive you are. I didn't realize just how competitive just you actually are. You laughed. This Dude, is like fun. playing Monopoly with my family. This got good. so much more intense. Hey. 
You know, we could play Monopoly on that. <laughs> Wait, there's got to be like a Bible-themed Monopoly, right? We just oh, play that I'm on sure. there. sure. There's a Bible-themed everything. Or yeah. what if we play Battleship and it's just you and I going back and forth? A4. <laughs> Miss. <laughs> that right there is some hard-hitting radio. Keith Conrad, yeah. executive Thank producer. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining we us. We'll see you for the kickers. <laughs> for Psalm or Crazy Bieber fan, coming up next, the mega church is discovering liturgy. We're going to talk about that a little bit here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook if you want to. The Common Good Radio Show is what it is called. You can also go to 1160hope.com. Plus you can text us 68683 and then just type CG and then your message, your thought, your suggestion. Uh, we became just a tad unhinged at that game back there. I feel a little guilty. <laughs> what? Let's talk about that. What are you feeling guilty about, Pastor? Like you said, a little competitive and uh, I felt good about Winning, but I think I hurt your feelings. No, we tied. And remember that's we, that's 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 how <laughs> no, I remember no, no, it going. When it, when it ties, it goes back to the original score. Oh, is that how it is that how it works it in this uh, Bieber versus Psalm yeah. lyric game that we just invented? I, uh, yes. <laughs> Did we invent that? I would love for other people to invent some games for us. Okay, well. Is that is that what you really want to say to the people? You want to I do, I do. <laughs> invent a game and bring it to us. It doesn't mean we'll use it, but uh, you know, oh, it's well, good. that's demotivating. Good, we'll go with it. All right, okay. So it's motivating to be good. Something I've been really curious about for a long time is um, kind of this seeming juxtaposition between mega churches and this particular like millennial Gen Z interest in like liturgy and high church gatherings. And um, there seems to be a number of studies now recently done to, to convey the importance of churches, uh, at least gaining a better, deeper understanding of the importance of these liturgies, not just because of their traditions, but because uh, there's going to be this like rising surge of interest in that. And I'm curious, what are some of your thoughts in that regard? Yeah, there seems to be, you know, the 90s were really marked by, in the early 2000s, marked by the church growth movement. Um, and like, what are the ways to get more people in, right? Like uh, Willow Creek was very much um, popularized, the term being seeker sensitive, all the way to the point. I mean, you, you've heard those stories where Bill Hybels would go door to door asking people, if you were going to go to church, what would you be looking for? And kind of crafted a church around that. And uh, just scores of people at these churches. And now what they're finding is... A lot of mega churches, which I think that they uh, define as 2000 people or more, are trying to also now incorporate. um, They're trying to go back a little bit to uh, some more liturgy. As you begin to read it, it's pretty it's pretty shallow end of the pool liturgy. Right. But but liturgical nonetheless. And so if the megachurch was more built or in the 90s and the early 2000s built on, you know, like kind of cutting edge, quote unquote, music and and, you know, cutting edge worship songs and whatever else, a lot of comfort and a lot of that. They're now seeing this kind of shift uh, and, and it feels like the last place you would see it is in some of these megachurches. And so, uh, you know, I mean, some of this, it's not like they're going back to incense and all this. Some of these. I mean, some of them are. I know, but some of them you read the article and you're like, 
they've they've read the Nicene Creed. <laughs> you're yeah. like, good job. <laughs> <laughs> but there does seem to be this shifting, a uh, shifting to uh, within the uh, some of the bigger evangelical churches to say, um, how do we be even begin to incorporate a little bit of liturgy? Um, uh, old school liturgy, right? As opposed to every church has its liturgy. Uh, but how do we start to incorporate some of these uh, more ancient liturgies that people seem to also be craving? What does that look like in this 2000 plus member church with comfy chairs and lots of lights and this and that? And, and that's what this article is about. I find it. It's interesting. I think this kind of swinging of the pendulum is pretty interesting. Do you guys have any of these types of liturgies where you're at? You know, we'll read the creeds on occasion. We will, uh, we, uh, do communion every other week and I'd love to move it to every week. I think we're heading in that direction. Um, and, and so I would say, uh, even, you know, weird way of being in a warehouse that it, we've, we've tried to embrace some of the abilities to do things, uh, within there. I'm more, I'm more curious about your church because you fall, your church falls under this. You're, over 2000 people uh do you feel this desire within the people of your church do you do you sense not even what are you doing but they're kind of saying that it's kind of there's this undercurrent within these big churches of people longing for this and i guess i'm wondering your church fits in this so i'm wondering if you feel that even undercurrent in your church yeah i I mean i think it's yes and no i Mm -hmm. think that they're like with anything anytime you see some sort of sweeping like all gen z feel this all boomers think that that's probably not totally true like the one of the examples that he mentioned was uh in the willow creek chapel it's called the practice my friend Mm -hmm. aaron nequist uh, for a long time ran that now jason pfeffer is there and and that i mean was um, really, really life-giving for a lot of people. And, I, and I've gone on the retreat before a couple of times. And I, I mean, I really loved that discussion. And what we do at Community, um, it, it feels, and a lot of times we'll talk about, oh, this feels like us. There's a really strong sense of like community's like DNA and feel. Yep, yep. Um, but there's also, there's a lot of really, I think, brilliant innovators within our organization. So at appropriate times, I remember a couple, eh, maybe a year and a half ago, um, we wrote uh, this whole like reflection prayer and we had somebody read it and it was like a uh, it was it was pretty out of the ordinary for us. And we knew that we were taking a risk. And and honestly, I was pretty surprised by how much it really meant to people. We, I mean, we, we carved out, you know, five, six, seven minutes to have sort of this meditative moment which is not typically what we do with the the 60 minutes that we have on a Sunday. And so I think each time you kind of dip a toe in those waters and you know, it it, uh, gives you a little more courage to try something else. And like you said, you know, not all these churches are, you know, going full smells and bells, but uh, there there is something about these traditions, these liturgies uh, anchor us to something historic. They they point to this lineage. It reminds us of the big C universal church in some ways that I think are really beautiful and, um, one of the one of the things that I've really appreciated about it is how it it stretches us and challenges us. You know, we, it, it can be easy to expect a very uh, a very predictable order or rhythm on a Sunday, and that can be really beneficial, but can also become a distraction. So sometimes, for us at community at least, we'll introduce something, and we're we do a pretty good job, I think, of explaining and setting up why we're doing this mm. so that people, especially if they're there for the first time, they're like, wait, why are we kneeling now? What's, what's going on? I wasn't expecting that, Yeah, but it, it's, it's been pretty meaningful by and large. Yeah. And I, I, one thing that's been interesting for us is just the area we live in and the type of church we are. Uh, we've had a lot of people since we started the church coming from the Catholic church. And so when we introduce things, like you just said, it becomes really important that we explain it. 
uh, why are we observing Lent this year? Or right. why are we having an Ash Wednesday service? Or why? Are, what do we mean with when we do communion or baptism or whatever else? This stuff that a lot of us who grew up in the church just kind of take for granted. Right. Uh, it could become really important because what we're trying to do with it might be different than how they were raised with it or in other traditions. And so I do. I think this gets back, man, to also to what we've talked about before. And this is increasingly people aren't looking for ease or entertainment, but they're looking for awe. And I think that that uh, that oftentimes liturgy and tying that us back to a historical church provides this awe of we're involved in something bigger than just ourselves, just Mm. our church. Um, It's why I've started trying to talk on some Sunday mornings just very briefly about churches, what's happening in the church around the world, so that we're included in something bigger than just what's going on in, you know, at Four Corners Community Church or Community Christian Church, but that there's something bigger. And I think that's what even a lot of these mega churches are starting to to even feel more and more. Well, and it, it is worth saying too, that the medium is the message, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I think a lot of times the case has been made. They're like, Oh, we're communicating these ancient truths, like in a, in a modern sense, which mm-hmm. I'm, I'm fully in support of. And I will also say media matters and the space matters and what we do and don't put in it. And, and because we're in physical space and time, I think that's worth remembering that the, the medium does matter. And so I've appreciated some of the willingness of, of leaders and thinkers and artists to say, what, okay, so what if, what if there actually is a lot that we could learn from this? And it feels like, you know, some are really resonating with it. Some maybe not so much. And I think that's important for each local context to assess that. Like I heard a, a mentor years ago say, the thing that I love about the church is that there's all these different flavors. How boring would a stew be if it was just one flavor? Yeah. So it's, it's you know, if you're really into organ, that's great. If you, if you really love drums, that's fine too. If yeah. you're really into vestments, that's cool. If you're into no screens or big screens or hymnals, like I don't think any of those things necessarily in and of themselves are, are heretical. And it's mm-hmm. about, doing the right cultural hermeneutic of like, okay, what what are some ways to faithfully engage our community and, and maybe more primarily to faithfully worship and honor the God that made us. Those, those are important questions, not just to ask once when you plant the church and then never address them again. Yeah. And I think that you've planted, you know, nine years ago now, right? This is, this is something that I imagine that you revisit time and again with your leaders. Yeah. I think it's, uh, uh, not enough because right you get into ruts and you just go Sunday after Sunday after Sunday without giving thought. I think what I appreciate about a lot of these churches and how you've described yours is you know trying to do things thoughtfully and trying to say, um, yeah, what what are we trying to accomplish here as opposed to just go oh, got to do another Sunday. Yeah, and uh, I just think it's important. So I'd love to hear from people like are. We keep saying people are being more drawn to this or that. I'd love to hear if that's actually true. So coming up next, Beth Moore has, uh, she's been in the news a lot. And it seems like in particular, people have been going after her on Twitter a good deal. And uh, so what I want to talk about is a tweet that she shared just a couple of days ago about in our pursuit of Jesus, if we look less and less like him, is that a problem? Mm. That's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. everyone welcome back to the common good that song you're hearing is the one that always makes brian Fromm dance because it's happy you can guess how i feel about that you can text us at 68683 how you feel about that you can find us on facebook at the common good radio show 1160hope.com you can call us 
2594. My guess is some of you may have some feelings about this. I'm going to read the tweet by Beth Moore. And then, Brian, I'm going to ask you to respond. And then we're just going to duke it out. How's that feel? We're going to duke it out. Yeah, we're going to physically fight. Oh. Why have I, I done it right now? About that. Yeah, it's going to happen. Because you beat me in the Saul Bieber game, and I'm, I'm feeling, uh, I'm feeling, Extra I'm feeling angsty. Yeah, okay. So Beth Moore, you can find her at, at Beth Moore LPM. And this is what she wrote. The objective of all obedience to God is Christ-likeness. God is conforming us into the image of his son. If in our pursuit and practice of obedience, we look, act, talk, and love less and less and less like Jesus, something has gone awry. What do you think? Oh, fake news. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> fake news. Oh, boy. So, and there's some, you know, Beth Moore, like you said, she has been kind of taking it on Twitter as of late. Like, she, Beth Moore's quite the lightning rod, it appears, for uh, for many people. And she's gotten uh, pretty... Um, outspoken, outspoken comes across as negative. I don't mean it as negative. I just, she's been uh, tweeting a lot and, and tweeting her thoughts. And so, uh, I, I bring that up to say, I don't think this is written in a vacuum. Um, but what she wrote is great, right? There's, there's this idea that over time, sanctification, uh, looks like big fancy word. What's big it mean? Fancy word. It means becoming like Jesus, right? Or you know, it's. I like to define it as the journey. Like justification's a moment. Sanctification's kind of the rest of your life. Becoming more and more like Jesus. What a hippie! How would you define sanctification? Exactly what you just said. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and you are a hippie. So, yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> I should be careful. Uh, and so, um, <laughs> you know, in, in you know the journey of Christ likeness um, is not. Uh, uh, it's not like this constant growth, right? And so what I would say is that she is 100% right, that if over time you're seeing your religion is making you less and less and less like Jesus, then how can you say you're following Jesus? Like, this doesn't mean we have to be perfect. It doesn't mean we don't make mistakes. But she's talking about over time, we begin to look, act, talk, and love less and less and less like Jesus, then something's wrong. And I think that's true because uh, as followers of Jesus over the long haul, uh, we do not begin to look perfect, but we begin to, uh, I had an old pastor used to talk about this way. We begin to take on his conduct, his character, his concerns like these Jesus, there begins to be more Jesus coming out of us. Mm. And, uh, and that's what she's saying. And I think, Quite frankly, I think it's coming out of her feeling like people are acting less and less like Jesus towards mm. her. Mm. Uh, but man, it's convicting. What she writes there is convicting, but I would say it's true. So one of the things about the word sanctification, first off, so sanctus is uh, holy. Are you going like Latin? I'm going to go Latin, yeah. Wow, and then you Ficare. just upstaged me, man. Okay, I'm not upstaging. There's no stage. Just friends. Just friends at a desk. <laughs> talking and, Latin. And some microphones. <laughs> talking, talking Latin, as one does on a Thursday afternoon. Carpe diem, my friend. Carpe diem. <laughs> Seize the carp. Uh, okay, so sanctus means holy, and ficare means to make. So essentially, the word really means just to make holy. And I think the definition to make like Jesus mm-hmm. is, a, is a perfect definition. Mm-hmm. And the, the journey language uh, does tend to fit more in the Eastern way of thinking, Eastern Orthodox, Eastern Christian. So this idea of like this journey, justification happens in a moment, right? Sanctification happens over the course of a lifetime. And one of the things that I've noticed is that um, sanctification has a lot to do with surrender. Mm. I think a, a loosening of the, it's not just this cerebral ascent. I believe these truths. It's also about saying, 
God, make me more and more like you, which is probably going to mean some chiseling away at some stuff, some stuff mm. that isn't of you, right? It's it's this it's this D.A. Carson calls it the grace driven effort, right? This grace driven effort that mm. yeah, there's work involved in sanctification, but it it starts first with the grace of Jesus Christ. And I think what I've noticed, at least in my own context, is there's not a lot of cheerleaders on the road to sanctification. Mm. It's not something that we talk a whole lot about. Um, at, at least in my limited kind of worldview, maybe, maybe there's other places that are talking a whole lot more about this, but I think, I don't know if this is the way to say it, but I think for a lot of people, Jesus is a great savior, but not necessarily Lord. Mm. You know what I mean? Like I do know what you mean. We're yeah. grateful for the ticket to heaven when we die, yep, but yep. I don't really want him in charge of what I'm doing right now. Yeah, don't like, affect my life now. I want to go to the cloudy space, not the fiery space. You know, like I want yeah. that, but like right now I'd rather kind of be king of my own kingdom. And I think, when you read things like Romans 12, don't, don't be conformed anymore by all these be transformed. Is this that's there's, there's action there. We're being transformed Mm. into something. And uh, the thing is we're being transformed to something anyway, right? You become what you behold, right? You reflect what you revere. So you're being formed by something anyway. And I think part of what she's getting at is if in all of your theological study, you are looking less and less like Jesus, that should cause some concern. Right. And that's where I think, Maybe this is a different discussion, but there's an important distinction between wisdom and knowledge, right? Because wisdom, wisdom, I think, is tied to humility, but knowledge often just sort of puffs up, right? And I think sometimes we can learn more and more about Jesus and Jesus-y things mm-hmm. and leave our heart totally out of it. Yeah. And that making holy isn't happening, even though we're getting smarter and smarter about the things of God. And uh, I think I think that's a thing to be careful of. Yeah, we begin to put our hope in the amount of times we've gone to church, the amount of Bible studies we've done, and all of those are great things. Right. Uh, but the, I love the imagery of the book of Hebrews. I love that imagery of like focusing our eyes on Jesus. We run the race. <laughs> you yeah, know? right. Like it's like this long race. It's not like this sprint. We're running this marathon. We're, we're throwing off the sin that entangles us. I love that imagery. And you and I have used the quote many times now, Eugene Peterson's his kind of definition. And I I think it's a great one where he talks about life basically being a long obedience in the same direction. Right. Like for me, that's always been a a great picture of sanctification. Like it's this long obedience. It's this one step after another. It's this day after day after day um, of becoming more like Jesus. And so that's where this becomes difficult because it does cause us to look in the mirror at our own lives, right? Yep, right. Like, look at your Facebook page. What does what you're posting say about the sanctification going on in your life? What's it? What's it say? Just is a it, lot of how much I like Brian Fromm. That's, that's what it no, That's says. what yours has. Yeah, so right. you're you're winning, man. You're doing well. But <laughs> you know, how about the way you treat people? Your neighbor? How about how about like? Can you say that over time? Uh, the the attributes that we talk about of Jesus are becoming even a little bit more apparent, right. or or is there this disconnect? And only you can answer that question. I suppose people close to you can yeah. answer it for you, right? Uh, but but it becomes really difficult. But those are the questions we're supposed to be asking ourselves as yes. Christ followers. If yep. we're following Him, am I becoming more like Him? And friends, don't forget that the disciples, His closest followers, failed Him even all the way down to the very end. Yeah. Uh, but there's still this transformation and this following, not this perfection, 
but this growth and over the span of a lifetime that I think we can we need to be reevaluating or evaluating of going on within us. The, the Puritans actually had two really great words to describe how sanctification works: vivification and mortification. Yes, vivification is the like setting our mind on things above, and then mortification is not only a great Christian metal band. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's true. Is it really? It, it is. Oh yeah, they're fantastic. I thought you were going to give me the joke. No, I used, no, I used no. to play bass for no, mortification. No, no, no. I didn't because they're awesome. But it is also the putting to death, right? So it's yeah. this it's this bull fan, and it like makes me think of you know when, you ever watch those like when animals attack shows, and like someone keeps a pet lion, and then the lion went crazy, and people are like, "Can you believe it?" And I'm always like. Yes, that's what a lion does. (laughs) So it's an apex predator. But it it makes me think of like how often like our social media presence is not true to like what's really going on in our life. Yeah. And this idea that we've talked about this before, how I just mow over my yard. I don't typically pull weeds out. I just mow over it because weeds are also green. (laughs) And from a distance, it looks fine. Mortification goes in and says, no, I got to I have to stop. I have to stop just mowing over the issues. I got to get to the root and, and by the grace of God, actually, actually pull it out, which is so hard to do because the temptation is like, oh, this looks nice enough on social media. This looks good enough. And I, I found this quote um, by Kevin DeYoung, and he wrote The Hole in Our Holiness. And I'll, I'll end with this. He said, the Bible is realistic about holiness, the sanctification conversation. Don't think that it's all glorious talk about dying to sin and living to God means that there's no struggle anymore or that sin will never show up in a believer's life. The Christian life still entails obedience. Mm. It still involves a fight, but it's a fight we will win. You have the spirit of Christ in your corner, rubbing your shoulders, holding the bucket, putting his arm around you and saying before the next round with sin, you're going to knock him out, kid. Sin may mm. get in some good jabs. It may clean your clock once in a while. It may bring you to your knees. But if you are in Christ, it will never knock you out. You are no longer a slave, but free. Sin has no dominion over you. Mm. It can't. It won't. A new king sits on the throne. You serve a different master. You salute a different Lord. Mm preaches how good is that man man so that for me that's convicting for me to be honest that like we're in this fight and that this journey of sanctification will sometimes take a fight but it is a fight that we will win is a fight worth fighting Mm -hmm. and i think man that is good news really for all of us right coming up next uh this is going to be a topic that's going to make me cry i'm already sure of it it's about parenting and not wanting to miss it with our kids the way that many of us maybe already feel that's what's coming up next on the common good on am 1160 hope for your life everyone welcome back to the common good my name is ian simpkins brian Fromm is still dancing that's what i do I, <laughs> that's what i do. is that what it says on your linkedin account <laughs> brian dancing. Fromm, dancing is what i do it's what i do <laughs> if i had a linkedin account that's what uh, it would say i was gonna say i'm gonna call your bluff all right you can find us on facebook at the common good radio show or 1160hope.com i mentioned before this one uh might be a tearjerker for me even though it's not really a, a tearjerking story at all yeah. but it is definitely something that uh is really close uh, and intimate for me right now because I have two little ones at home. So I'm uh, I'm pretty new to this whole parenting thing. And one of the things that I hear a lot from parents, particularly new parents, is I don't want to miss it, right? Mm-hmm. And all the all the parents that are a little more experienced are like, oh, the days are long, but the years are short. Yep. I think you've probably said that a couple of times. Yep. I'm, I'm curious, even before I kind of dive into this list, like how do you feel, what grade would you give yourself with regards to the not missing it with your kids thing. I think I'm actually pretty good at this. Really? I do. I'm I, if nothing else, I try to be present in my kids' lives and my wife does as well. 
Uh, but it's that it's what's really hard is what you reference there of that speed of life. Hmm. So I think both my wife and I have taken a tack that says, you know what? Like we, they're only kids for so long. So we're going to be the ones who try to coach their teams and we're going to go on the field trips and we're going to do whatever else. So I would say we're pretty active, uh, but it is, man, when you reference the speed. So my, my kids are, uh, my daughter finished her freshman year of high school. Uh, and then my fifth grader and my fourth grader are about to end within the next couple of days, their school years. Uh, and so every now and then, you know, like a picture will pop up as a memory on your Facebook page. And you're like, man, I remember like yesterday when my daughter, my high school daughter was four. Yeah, right. Right. And, right. And you're just like, gosh, this is going so fast. But yet you're loving every moment of it. And, and you are not every moment, most moments. <laughs> and so you're doing this wrestling with yourself where you're just like, I want it to slow down. And mm. I've told you this before because your kids are so much younger. You're on that other end where I've said, man, when I was in your stage, I used to hate when people were like, man, it goes so fast. <laughs> Be careful. Don't miss it. Don't blink. And, you know, they're singing butterfly kisses or like cats in the cradle or something to you. And. You're like, come on. And, but now on the other, I'm not on the other end. I'm kind of in the middle. You are kind of in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I get it. Like really? you're like, man, all of this just kind of whirlwinds where, where like I see pictures of my high school daughter as like a, you know, a three-year-old and I'm like, nope, that's how I still see her sometimes. Right. She's still, still three. How right. I see her, but actually she has her driver's <laughs> permit and is driving oh, around Gosh, yeah. and the other kids as well. And you're just like, oh, stop. Like just slow down. Like I've become that dad. And so. Cargo short wearing dad. There you go. So I totally get it. Uh, And then even on your end of it, you know, what is your son now? Probably 18 months or so. 19 months. 19 months. And uh, your other one, let's see, we've been doing the show five months. So Uh it'll be about five months. Uh Even there, you're like, oh, wait, no, we're on to a next stage. No, stop. And it just keeps going. And so, no, I totally get articles like this where you. Not only do you not want to miss it, but you don't want it to keep going so quickly. <laughs> like, well, that's what's ridiculous because just a couple of days ago, my wife and I sat and like looked at photos and Insta stories of my eldest, who's again, like you said, nineteen months old, right. and we're like, "Oh my gosh, where does the time go?" And I know, I know, the parents of like grown kids are like, yeah. "What are you talking about, man? Like, yeah. nineteen months already feels like he's changed so much." Which is, I think, I'm getting better. But I don't like I don't slow down well. I don't hit pause well, and uh, I, in a really kind of strange way, uh, my kids are kind of helping helping me grow in that in that way. And there was this this article on uh, churchleaders.com by uh, Jonathan Pearson, and he was talking about the same thing about about one of his biggest fears was not missing it with his kids. And he he wrote this really brief article with just three uh, challenges that I thought were really good, kind of simple, practical, but also like. Oh, this, this is good for any relationship. This isn't just about kids. This is like a good, this is a good list just for, yeah. uh, interacting in general. So I'm going to, I'm going to read one, get your reaction to then read the next. Uh, number one, drop. It says, put down your phone. Mm. Simply put, that's something that's a real struggle for us millennial parents and even for baby boomer grandparents from what I witnessed. I don't just mean don't take pictures. I think picture taking can be good and fun. I'm talking more about the times when he wants me to play. He wants me to laugh. He wants my attention, but my phone has it instead. I've started to drop it, even drop it a long way from arm's length so I'm not tempted. I don't want him to see the Apple logo on my phone when we're at home more than he sees the smile on my face. Powerful. Some people can write so well. Like you read that, you're like, oh, that's, that's what that's I right. do, right? Right. And so, no, this is one thing I appreciate, even when my I have, my kids aren't that old, but like 
you go back to my oldest daughter to when she was really young. I didn't have like the phones were not even they were different back then. Like yeah, it was just right. different. We still had a landline, you know, these kinds of things. A, a what? Exactly. <laughs> and so uh but now you know when it, it's also hard, my kids are getting older and they have phones. And every now and then I'll look right. around the room and like all five of us are on our phone and right. I'll be like, Oh man, like we could be doing something right now. Like we can hmm. and so though the phone one, especially when your kids like you don't want you, you got to disconnect. We talk about this all the time, right? You got to be able to disconnect. And as long as you're always looking at your phone, it's, it's an inability to disconnect and therefore an inability to connect uh, where you are with your kids. Well, and I think what he's saying here too, isn't just like distracted on their phone. Like, and I feel this one a lot. Anytime one of them starts doing something, I want to capture it. I want to record it. So That's like good. a lot of times it's first steps or he's laughing for the first time. So I, I, you know, I pull the phone instantly mm. so I could film it so I can capture it. So my, isn't that kind of weird though? Like my my motive is to freeze this this moment in time, but I'm also missing it because I'm so busy trying to record it. And then you know what I mean? It kind of folds. In I remember itself. feeling that. Why do I keep referencing the Bon Jovi concert I went to last year? But uh, my wife and, <laughs> and I, I have some and my brother and sister we went to this the concert was awesome. Um, but I remember at one point looking around. And like it felt like eighty percent of the people that I could see had their phones out yeah, watching, right. and you're like, just watch the concert, just enjoy the concert. I know, easier said than done, man. All yep. right, so the first one drop number two is interact. Again, maybe this seems obvious, but not so much. There are times when it's okay to not be talking to my son. I get that. I tell him sometimes that the world revolves around something, but it's not him, and that's good old fashioned parenting right there. I don't have to always be talking with him. Yes, there are times when he can watch Paw Patrol on his iPad in peace. It's important that I interact with my child on his level, though, that I talk about what they're doing on Paw Patrol, that I play with him, even though I don't understand what I'm playing. The other day, I had a fire helmet on my head and was holding the back of a baseball bat and making a swoosh noise for the reasons I don't understand. <laughs> this interaction is important to his development, and it's important to me that I get it. Yeah. It's, I think it's really good. It's really good. It, for me, honestly, you know, my boy is like kind of gibberish right now. Yep. And one of the things he loves doing is having these fake conversations. I don't know what he's saying. Yep. So he just sort of gibberish back and forth. Maybe he's making fun of me. That's very possible. But just interacting with him, just playing the same puzzle 16 times over can feel monotonous, yep. but like he gets so much joy out of it. And, uh, you know, the big secret, I do too. Yep. Like it's really way more enjoyable than I ever thought it would be. Yep. I remember when Madeline was really little and you could take her to like McDonald's and put her in the high chair and just going and like you weren't having conversation. You would just right. kind of interact and it was so special and it was it was really fun. So the first one is drop. Second one is interact. Third one is check. When I pick up my son from anything, I always ask how it went, whether it's grandparents' house, daycare, or church, I check on him. I want him to know that I care and that he can tell me things. I want him growing up knowing that I'm going to discipline him, but I, I'm also interested in him and what he's doing. I care. He needs to know that I care, and I need to be sure that I hear all about what he cares about. And mm. I think uh, that can be easy to miss, right? And you know, when we have big boy jobs and big boy conversations and yeah. adult things to tend to, Sometimes we can forget to ask our kids, what was today like? How, yeah. you know, one of the, I mentioned this uh, a couple of days ago. The questions I want to ask at the end of the day are, how are you brave? Mm. How are you kind? And how did you fail today? And have those opportunities to say, these are things we talk about. And hopefully that establishes, you know, a rhythm of, of safety and intimacy in our family. Yeah. And it's a, it's another really good one, but it's so many of these get so, I think all of us as parents would read these and go, I want to do all of these. The hard part for us parents out there is actually taking the steps to make these happen, right? Like each of these have some intentionality to it. Intentionally putting your phone down, yeah, right. intentionally connecting, intentionally asking and, and these types of things. 
And sometimes it can be really easy to parent with no intentionality at all, like just trying to get through the day. Just surviving. Just right. surviving. And there are days where you're days just for sure. That's all you can do, right? Uh, but if every day is just survival day, then I think hopefully an article like this wakes you up a little bit. I'd love to know what would you add to this list? Mm. Oh. Probably something about dreaming. Oh. Maybe something about dreaming with Is that your sleep kids? related? Because that's, yeah. that's, that's all I can think of. Maybe something about like whether dreaming about what could we do as a family or what could be. I said, oh, that's not a bad one, man. I came out of nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> he's literally patting himself I on the back am. right now physically. That was good. He won the Bieber game and he's <laughs> producers clapping. Everyone in the studio right now is clapping for you, Brian From Yes. Don't ask me what I would add. Today's that's fine. <laughs> Is it though? Uh, I think also like play though. Don't you think that's important yes. to not take yourself so seriously to like, just okay, play. it's, it's worth getting the house a little messy or to like tearing up some jeans to just have fun to like enjoy yeah. each other. I think that's one of the things that I really appreciate about my parents. I think they've modeled that really, really well. I mean, you kind of have to, I'm the oldest of seven kids. Yes. <laughs> if you can't learn to like, just have some fun every once in a while, man, oh man. You're not going to make it. Absolutely. So uh, we land the plane the way that we always do with some interweb insanity that we did not select. We take zero responsibility for. We have not read them. We're going to read them sight unseen coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. <clears throat> Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Brian, could you could you do that intro yourself? Could I you could hit, not? Could you hit that note? Nope. Would you just try just one time for me? Not gonna try. Please just try nope. once. Nope. I'm not moving on until you just try. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet and hit that note. Where do I hit the note? Where is it? Internet. See, so you did it for us. Oh, see, that feels like a trap. <laughs> so you're not gonna do it. So you're Here's essentially some saying weird stuff we found on the internet. Is that good? <laughs> yeah, this is this is good radio. Out. This is good radio. Yep. I like- Internet. I knew I could appeal to your competitive side because I saw how you were with Psalm or Bieber fan. So mm-hmm. I knew if I stuck with it long enough. All right. So if you've been with us, been with us for any length of time, yeah, this is how we end the show. Just some interweb insanity. Our executive producer Keith Conrad uh, has selected these stories. Some are funny. Some are dark. We have not seen them, and there's also sound effects that have been preloaded. We have not heard them. Nope. We're going to read them sight unseen, which actually gets more and more terrifying every time we do this. And uh, I'm going to let Brian Fahm take it away. Florida. Of course. Man arrested for domestic ketchup battery. Oh, boy. Uh, Florida man is facing a domestic battery wrap. What is that? What, what is that sound effect? I don't know. Try to get the ketchup out? I don't know. <laughs> That's so uncomfortable. <laughs> ah, gross. After allegedly covering <laughs> his sleeping girlfriend in ketchup. What? Investigators say Peter Wagman, 37, and his 41-year-old girlfriend have recently, quote, been in arguments. The couple who live uh, in Pinellas Park have been together for 11 years. At around 4.45 a.m. Sunday, the victim awoke to ketchup being poured on her by Wagman. Uh, when police arrived what at the residence. No, I'm not going to read it. They found the woman covered in ketchup. Wagman, who was released yesterday from county jail, had pleaded not guilty to the misdemeanor domestic battery count. A judge has ordered him to have no contact with the victim. They're a fantastic couple. I love them. <laughs> he loves we, that didn't one. read the part of the story where she was chasing him down the street, but she wasn't able to catch up. It's <gasps> terrible. No? Anyone? No? That's we terrible. have that trombone effect? <laughs> Matt's gone. Terrible. Okay, great. <laughs> Maryland, 31 cats found abandoned in motel room. Oh, boy. <laughs> Officials found 31 abandoned cats at the Colony Inn Motel in White Marsh on Monday morning. 
County spokesperson, spokeswoman Stacy Burgess said. 31 cats and kittens were all found alive at the motel on Pulaski Highway. Burgess said some of the cats had health issues, however. Some were pregnant, others were skinny or had fleas and tapeworms. The cats had access to food and water in the room. As to who was responsible for putting the cats in the room, Burgess said, we do not know the identity of the person and are working to track that person down. This whole oh, segment is like, awful. it's such a right turn from anything we talked about today. Okay, well, I'm back to Florida. Florida man pours salt in Walmart to get rid of evil spirits around him. Oh, God. A man in Central Florida told deputies he poured salt on the floor of a Walmart store to get rid of the evil spirits around him. A store manager told investigators that a man poured salt on the floor and on his feet before walking into the woods near the store. The manager said he wanted the man charged with trespassing. A deputy found him laying under some trees in the woods, but still on Walmart property. He was arrested and taken to the detention center. I need an old priest and a young priest. The power of Christ compels you. The power of Christ compels you. Whoa, hello. I really do love imagining someone tuning in right now. Like, oh, what's uh, happening on Christian Talk Radio? Could you say that he got arrested for... Assault. I'm not going to even give that joke <laughs> any attention whatsoever. What, the ketchup one? There it is. The ketchup there one was, was that better? Was, that was innovative. Assault is just old hat. All right. Uh, Israel. Israeli ex-con holds up two banks armed with an avocado. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently the tariffs hadn't gotten the wit. Never mind. The 47-year-old resident of southern Israel is facing charges of aggravated robbery after successfully stealing nearly, I don't know, NIS's. It's $8,000 from two Beersheba banks last month using an avocado. The man, a resident of words I can't say, near the southern metropolis, entered a postal bank branch at the big Beersheba shopping mall in mid-May and handed the cashier a misspelled note and demanded she hand over the cash at her counter. Hand over the money in the drawer, he noted, but misspelled the Hebrew word for drawer, according to a report Thursday on Channel 12 Television News. Oh, the terrorists, they ran that way. It was a run by fruiting. I'll get them, sir. Don't worry. Okay, I gotta continue the story. Sorry, when the cashier appeared to hesitate, the robber spoke for the first time, saying, "Put the money in the bag quickly, or I'll throw this grenade." Which turns out was just an avocado. An avocado. <laughs> oh, th- I'm three for three on Florida Look here. At you, this feels intentional. Charter boat captain arrested in Florida, accused of getting drunk, firing handgun, and refusing to re- return passengers to shore. Oh boy. <sighs> Shortly after are you, midnight, are you all right? shortly after midnight, <laughs> these have been bad. On June 2nd, Sarasota police and the U.S. Coast Guard responded in Sarasota after receiving calls from passengers aboard a charter ship saying the captain, 36 year old Mark Bailey, he was intoxicated, had fired off rounds from a handgun and was refusing to bring them back. When Bailey docked his bolt, he was detained as police spoke with witnesses. Newsflash you can't drink and then come to work. You're not airline pilots. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh, that was intense. <laughs> I like that a lot. Never a dull moment here on the Common oh, Good. Man. Do you have a favorite from the day, Brian? A favorite of those? Anything. Anything. It was beating, oh. me. It was beating me in the Bieber Psalm the game, Bieber wasn't it? The Bieber Psalm yeah. game is like not just my favorite today, but maybe in the history of the show. I shouldn't have even asked. I'm so sorry. My name is Ian, along with Brian. Join us again tomorrow, 4 to 6 p.m., right here on the Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.